Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. I'm here today with Anshu Sharma, an active angel investor and a very experienced technology professional in the Silicon Valley ecosystem. Anshu, welcome. Great to have you here. Thanks, Shamina. It's uh, great to be on the call with you. So, um, you know, I think that before we get into your investment activities, why don't you tell our audience a bit about your, um, you know, your professional activities outside of investing, just to set some context about your perspective. You've had a very deep experience at Salesforce.com and so on and so forth. So just tell us a bit about that. Sure. So, you know, my career basically started out uh, the way it starts out for a lot of people who are immigrants in Silicon Valley, working for Oracle for many years. Then I went on to Salesforce.com where I ran various products, especially on the platform side, um, and eventually ended up running product strategy for Salesforce. Um, After that, I left and uh, started doing more active investments and stuff, ended up being a venture partner at Storm Ventures for a couple of years. So I've done a mix of running products, writing code, uh, uh, and making investments, both as a VC and an angel investor. Um, these days, uh, I'm the chairman and founder of a startup called uh, Cleardin, which is a cybersecurity-focused startup uh, started by uh, a friend of mine who's running the company as CEO. Um, but uh, I'm focused on essentially helping uh, get new ideas up from ground into the real world and build some amazing products along the way. All right. Let's talk a bit about your investment focused. What uh, what do you like to invest in, and how do you frame your um, investment thesis in the current context? Yeah, so my investment focus is almost entirely uh, what I've slowly begun to call uh, founder market fit. Um, so what that means is... Um, I'm essentially looking for uh, markets that I understand and the founding team understands well. Mm -hmm. And so that we think we can go build a fairly large, interesting business there. A perfect example of something like this would be a company called Workado. So, you know, since uh, we are making this recording in March, uh, Salesforce just acquired MuleSoft for $6.5 billion dollars. And Mercado is an integration product um, company uh, started a few years ago by a team of ex-DIPCO executives, uh, Mm -hmm. people I've known along the way at companies like Oracle and Salesforce. And so when they said we are going to rethink how uh, automation and integration is done, uh, it was sort of a no-brainer for me to get involved as an investor advisor and help them, you know, along their journey. So Mm -hmm. for me, it ends up being something that sort of what I call, there's a natural flow to things. Uh, When I feel like I'm reaching too far from what I understand and or I'm excited about, or the founder is doing that, that's not an area where uh, typically I would make an enterprise SaaS investment. Okay. And, And so would it be fair to say you focus entirely on enterprise SaaS? Uh, I think 
I'm focused on enterprise software companies primarily. Uh, they don't have mm-hmm. to be all classical SaaS. Uh, you know, Nutanix is a perfect example, which was one of my early investments. Uh, mm-hmm. They have started out as a you know private cloud data center automation company, and mm-hmm. uh, not really a SaaS company. So I think the more important thing for me is do I understand the buyer? Do I understand the buyer yeah. and why would they need this thing? Okay. And what sized investments do you like to make? So, you know, uh, I'm an angel investor. So my typical investment check is somewhere between 25 to 100K. And do you lead deals? Well, in Silicon Valley, uh, even a 100K check doesn't really uh, make you a lead in any meaningful sense. But Depends uh, on what stage. So maybe we should yes. revisit. We should visit the stage question first, and then come back to the size question. What stage no, do you like okay. to get involved in? Sure. So I think it's it's not about leading or not leading. I think the way I think about of, of it myself is I love being the first check in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what people typically call lead. But you know, if I'm the first check in and the opportunity is big enough. Um, I'll usually, you know, I know the classical angel investment thing is you put in, you know, 25K in, value the company at a few million dollars, and then hope for a quick next round, you know, so that your investment kind of multiplies. Um, But I actually prefer, if I understand the case and I'm willing to lean in, usually there are lots of other investors, uh, both seed funds and VCs who, you know, typically join in and we can end up constructing a much larger round. So what mm-hmm. I've noticed is even when I've met uh, one or two person teams, and a perfect example would be PubNub. Uh, you know, when I met uh, the founder of PubNub, uh, it was essentially one person uh, who mm-hmm. built some software and was doing this uh, full time. Um, I, you know, I said, I'm going to write a check, but by the time we closed the round and I reached out to people I knew and the team reached out to people, we ended up having, you know, a multi-million dollar round. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's just the nature of how I like to bring things together. Okay. So you would come in, you would get things going and you did, then you would drum up momentum in your network and because you have put your skin in the game, people would come behind you. That's the way you like to use your influence. That's how it's, that's how it's turned out to be the case uh, 99% of the times. And what about geography? Um, I have uh, primarily focused on the Silicon Valley market, but I've made a few investments in India. Um, uh, I've made an investment in a company called Razor Pay I've made an comp- investment in a company called Innovate, which is like the WeWork of India. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's been a handful of investments in Indian startups where um, I came across an idea that, again, if I understand the market, even if I don't understand uh, the geo from the, where they're getting started, then I'm sometimes more willing to lean in. Um, okay. So that's That's how it's turned out to be. So I would say... 70 to 80% Silicon Valley based, 20% uh, India. India. Okay. And where in India are you from originally? 
so you know i grew up pretty much all over india in some meaningful sense of the word uh, my parents <laughs> currently live in new delhi so that's sort of home when i go home um, but i grew up all over north india i ended up going to school in west bengal for my engineering degree so uh, i consider myself yeah, you know sort of from everywhere in india and nowhere in india okay <laughs> and um if you look at your deal flow from the last let's say 15 months mm-hmm. what are the trends that you see in your deal flow hmm. you know it's funny in some ways i don't ever sit down and analyze my deal flow uh, i don't sit down and analyze where this is all headed i don't sit down and figure out if you know ai is getting warmer or if cryptocurrency is doing better uh, i am almost entirely focused on the quality of the founding team and the market they're going after so you know pretty much yeah, so i'm not i'm going. not really thinking yeah. of from that perspective i'm just curious because you do have a good deal for i'm just curious about what you're seeing you know it's more kind of understanding what's interesting out there that you've seen that uh, sure that helps us so, draw some you know awareness basically yes so i think uh, it goes back to my roots right so enterprise software uh, which today in today's day and age almost 100% is you know some form of software as a service or platform as a service deals um the the new twist now is uh, i would say majority of those companies that are doing something new in that space have uh, either a data driven or an ai driven angle to the story right and so that would pretty much cover almost all the companies i've invested in the last 2 years okay and um talk a little bit more about the companies that you have invested in maybe talk about some of the highlights of your portfolio you talked about one just now the integration one maybe a, yeah. maybe a couple of more sure um i think the one that most people would know the best uh, is uh, my very first angel investment uh, which was uh, nutanix and sure. uh, you know which is now a fairly large public company um Nutanix but, we cover um, extensively so our community knows Nutanix very well what stage did you get involved with in Nutanix um it was the stage at which it was an idea in in Heeraj and uh, team's mind and i had known uh, and interacted with Heeraj at Salesforce uh, while he was at his previous company and Uh, he and i had together done some work at oracle so when uh-huh. uh, bipul and tiraj started you know incubating the company uh, i was you know the, the i don't know whether it's the first or the second or the third i was in the group of people that were the first checks in to the company okay great uh, excellent what i learned from that is the more interesting thing which was uh, you know if if you back a team that understand the market they were going after things work out well and essentially that set the template for me for every other investment every other investment okay um anything else that is not as far along nutanix of course has broken sure. out in a very big way yes. what about else yes. 
Yes, that's why I kept my discussion of Mutanix short. Uh, I think there's lots of uh, interesting companies. Uh, you know, I, I'll give you some examples of trends and the company that have invested in that trend. One of them is uh, Algolia, which is a search as a service, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it's a, you know, it's, an, it's a narrow niche in some ways because uh, essentially you're basically creating search indexes and serving them up. But again, having been at uh, Oracle and Salesforce, I've learned that, you know, while there's a lot of open source technology available like Lucene and Solar to, you know, set up your own sort of a search index. Um, actually running something like that on a day-to-day basis is highly, highly difficult, even for mm-hmm. a company as large as Salesforce. So when I met the team, they had gone to YC at that point. Um, it was to me sort of a no-brainer uh, that this company would do really well. Uh, it was a non-obvious problem uh, and a lot of the rest of the market had given up on it in the sense that, hey, you know, you've got all these open source technologies which everybody uses, so maybe there's not uh, a real business there. Uh, subsequently, they've done uh, really well. They've raised, uh, you know, two or three rounds of funding since then, and the company is doing great. The other interesting aspect about Algolia as a company is they were started out in France and uh, moved their business operations to the U.S., and sort of still operate in a in a in a globally distributed way where a lot of marketing and sales kind of functions are led from Silicon Valley, but a lot of engineering is primarily done in France. And how did they meet you, or how did you meet them? Yeah, so that was interesting. At that time, I was um, I had just left Salesforce. I was friends with uh, my buddies at Storm Ventures, where I subsequently became a uh, investing venture partner. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they had asked me to look at the company and uh, in order for help help them make a decision about investing. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to invest and, and they did too. And it's worked out well for both of us so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, you started off introducing them as a niche. Can you elaborate on that? And, and I'll, I'll give you a bit more context about what I'm thinking about. Sure. So, so um, I, I love niches. Oh, you you love many niches? Yeah. How, how, can you help me frame your definition of niche in, from the perspective of TAM? And, and I hear that there's a prevalent uh, philosophy in Silicon Valley that you know, TAM needs to be over a billion dollars, and some investors don't even want to invest unless TAM is a $10 billion TAM. And I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, how many of those are there? And, um, and on the other hand, there are so many niches where you can build such solid businesses. How do you parse this dichotomy? Yeah, so, you know, in some ways, um, uh, almost every business uh, that you're trying to build, by definition, is going to be a niche, right? So, you know, online bookstores are a niche and helping small and mid-sized company track their leads on the internet is also a niche. Um, to me, what differentiates, and niches are actually not investable, and I will also not invest in a company that's actually genuinely going after a niche. The difference between a, a company that's starting out in a niche 
which is investable and a company that's starting out in a niche that's not investable um, is actually the imagination and the ability of the founder, right? Or, or, or the founding team. Um, you know, or they, they may have been five people who wanted to start an online bookstore uh, sending books on the internet. But if that's the, when an investor like me or a vet, you know, another VC firm asks you, what are you trying to build? If your answer is a bookstore, and I press you and say, is that a big enough business? And you say, yeah, yeah, you know, all I'm going to do is sell books. Uh, I'm just not interested, right? I mean, there's a lot of angel investors who are interested in, you know, companies which will get a $50 million, $100 million exit. Uh, you know, I am not interested in a founding team that doesn't want to shoot after something much larger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always jokingly tell people, you give me a business that has a path to even $10 million in revenue, uh, and I can give you a path to a billion, right? Because every niche is part, every niche of a market is part of a bigger niche, right? So, you know, forget about software and enterprise software because it may be hard for people to understand what I'm saying. Uh, just look around yourself, right? So, you know, let's say someone says, I want to, you know, start building, uh, uh, you know, cables, right? I'm going to literally uh, start manufacturing cables for electricity uh, at home use. Now, that's a very small market. It's a kind of a niche. Um, you know, as far as I remember, uh, that's how Bharti Telecom in India got started, right? They literally started out by building cables, and then mm-hmm. they started building uh, handsets for the Indian government's MTNL selling phones, right? So they're literally selling phone equipment uh, through MTNL. And as everybody knows, uh, you know, that's not a cable company. It's not even a phone device company. It turns out it ended up being a multi-multi-billion dollar. Um, So the founders may not know exactly how big the market can be, but if you can't articulate even one or two paths to a bigger market, uh, that's a limitation of your vision it's not really a limitation of your market. So I will mm-hmm. overlook the niche of the market if your ambition and vision is large enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how many, what is the you know, frequency or volume of your, uh, whether it's deal flow or actually actual investments, how, how active are you? Um, I will... Uh, invest in as many companies. If I see three good companies this month, I will write three checks. Um, mm-hmm. But there may be times where for six months I don't invest in anything because uh, I don't do outbound. I don't reach out to companies. I don't uh, spend time, you know, thinking about, frankly, investments too so much. People just call so you they, and if you like it, you invest. Yes. You know, I'm focused on uh, typically, at any given time, I'm focused on a particular project I'm working on. So, you know, last one year, I spent my time building up Clearden. That's basically mm-hmm. 80% of my time. Um, yeah. And it's the inbound uh, conversations. And what I've found, uh, because I did do it uh, full-time as a VC for two, two and a half years, yeah. is uh, when, when you go outbound, uh, or when you start broadening your funnel, 
uh, at least for me, it doesn't didn't really increase the quality of the deals. So in some mm-hmm. ways, by being very selective and being totally inbound, I'm only meeting people who a really really want my help, b understand exactly what I already invest in and do and don't do, and and if you know those things match, then uh, actually I'm you know one day I will look up the statistics on this, but you know if I had to do a uh, a guess over the last say five years, I've probably invested in more than one third of the companies that I've interacted with. Right? I see. Which is a very uh-huh. large number for an uh, angel investor. A lot, most people have a one is to ten ratio or, or lower. Or much lower, yeah, much lower. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's that's a unique perspective, actually. Um, now you chose not to become a VC, though you you hung out at. Uh, Storm Ventures, but you didn't become a VC eventually. Was what was thinking behind that? I think I'm both too young and too late, uh, too old to be a, a VC at this stage. Uh, I think uh, I, I realized while I enjoy investing and helping companies, uh, you know, I want to be much more hands-on and operationally involved with at least one company uh, that mm-hmm. I'm working with. So the idea of writing, you know, the mo- even the most active investors write two checks a year, um, and you know sometimes some of those companies don't work out. Uh, did not seem like the best path for me to spend my forties. Yep. Uh, um, so I think I can achieve some of the same effect by investing my own money, and yep. uh, if I keep enjoying doing it, uh, uh, maybe later in life when I'm ready to. Uh, stop being an operational hands-on uh, entrepreneur. I can uh, you know, double down. Do you see yourself starting another company? Well, right now we are, uh, you know, taking a lot of time to get cleared in, ready to launch its first set of customers. Uh, okay. I will be starting another company as soon as that's graduated. So you know, mm-hmm. that's. That's been the pattern. So you're doing it basically with other people, not not as a CEO, but more as a as an investor chairman kind of thing. But you're doing several of these yeah, and getting so, them up. So, yeah. So I, I've I've done two of these so far. Uh, one in healthcare space, and this one is cybersecurity. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have a pattern again here. Uh, my goal is to take some of the ideas in my head and other people's head and, and create the right company around it. Uh, it's quite likely that the next company I do, I will end up being a, a full-time CEO and may work on it for the next five years. But it's also possible that it ends up being uh, another incubation that I run for yeah. a year and then hand off. And what did you do in the healthcare space? What was the company that you invested in in healthcare? Yes, yeah, so in healthcare, I started a company along with uh, Puneet Soni uh, and Karthik. Uh, you know, they are in stealth uh, still, so I won't steal our thunder, um, but mm-hmm. people can learn more by Googling Robin AI. Essentially, we are attacking uh, a huge problem in healthcare where doctors spend way too much time uh, interacting with their EHR systems and not enough time with their patients. And uh, we have a unique way of attacking that problem and you know when we come out of stealth we'll talk more about it 
And but you will be selling to doctors. Yes, the healthcare providers are the target market. Okay, interesting. This is an area that uh, we keep talking about from you know just pure consumers, right? There mm. is such bad service, you know, and so little data. This is an area that I would like to see get automated vastly. I would much prefer. Uh, either a pure AI doctor or, an, or a doctor that is highly enhanced with AI as opposed to the kind of muck, you know, really imprecise muck that we see these days. Yeah, so. so I think uh, to truly automate uh, a part of the doctor's job or even to build a, a world-class uh, system to assist them, uh, there is a lot of legal challenges. There is a couple of startups right now in China that are beginning to do this because of their uh, legal framework. It's easier to sort of, hey, here is an application and can kind of tell you whether you have a cold or a cancer, right? Um, yeah. in, the, in the U.S., the systems are so heavily regulated right. that, uh, I mean, I can't even legally... Uh, build a web conferencing system that allows a patient in California to ask for even help in understanding what a medication does from a doctor in India, right? Even that's yeah. not really allowed. You are not right. allowed to import medicines from Canada, which is right. you know, got as good quality controls. So there is a system that's been created uh, mostly to help protect the patients, but the net effect of that uh, regulatory environment today is that um, almost anybody can build a $100 million business as part of this multi-trillion you know, trillion dollar market by mm -hmm. changing things by 1%. Uh, but if you try to change things by you know, 2x, it, it, it bumps against the system. The system basically rejects it. So yeah. my sense is, given that you have a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurs uh, listening in from geographies like India, I think, frankly, the chances of a AI doctor that actually helps patients uh, are much more likely to come out of a country like India or Nigeria. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I would love to invest in a company like that, um, but yeah. it's very hard to build that with the primary market being one of these regulated Western markets. Right, right, yeah. Interesting. Any other comments that you want to add to uh, address the audience that you are speaking with here right now? Yeah, I think so. You know, my main uh, message that I was sharing with, you know, a founding team I met uh, just this week that's built applying AI in, in the CRM space um, is to, you know, we spend way too much time thinking about technology breakthroughs. You know, I'm myself an engineer, so I love technology. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, when people get narrowly focused on the technology uh, and then reluctantly on the buyer uh, because they need to, you know, make money, they almost always end up forgetting the, the user experience. So... Yeah. Uh, and the user and the buyer are often opposing forces in a system. Uh, you know, take an example of a company that uh, we just invested in 
uh, which is doing um, expense management. The CFO mm -hmm. really wants to, you know, enable the processes to be automated. But if you really think about it, a lot of CFOs want to make it harder for you to file all your expenses um, uh, because essentially it cuts down. So if, you, if I can make it more difficult for you in some ways, wink, wink, then I make, uh, you know, have a positive impact on my bottom line. But your job as the founder, uh, you know, you can't build a disruptive company if you're the 17th version of Concur, right? right. You can only be a disruptive company if you say, no, th this is how things need to change, not just because I've invented a new AI, but because now I can apply this thinking in a philosophy from the perspective of both the end user and hey, if you do it the following way, it will be easier for the end user. And by the way, Mr. CFO, you also get more efficacy and a positive impact to your goals. So I think everybody talks about this. Almost nobody does it because it gets harder and harder to you know, apply these constraints, right? So it's very easy to say, I've thought about this thing with NLP and I'm gonna apply it to something. It's harder to say, I have this innovation, but I'm gonna find a buyer. And then you add on a third constraint, which is I have to find a user who's gonna really love this. Uh, so most people pick one or two out of these three and that's how companies fail or don't really achieve their full potential. Excellent. Excellent. I'm sure this was a superb conversation, very insightful, very uh, sophisticated. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to Anshu here. And um, we'll continue to bring you interesting perspectives that you can learn from. And uh, go to the website, 1mby1m.com, and uh, come to any of the free public roundtables where we can work on your project. We have safe working hours um, every week where you can come and discuss your strategic roadblocks. And we'll be back here with another edition of the 1 Million by 1 Million podcast. Thank you very much for listening.